Let's pray together. Indeed, Lord, you are perfect in all of your ways. We thank you that you are pleased to, through salvation, grant us the righteousness of Christ that we might be seen by you as positionally perfect. Now we know, Lord, that practically we do not measure up to how you see us in position, but we are grateful because because of what Christ has done for us and has granted us his righteousness, we can stand before you, we can gather here before you, we can sing praises before you, and you receive them. You welcome us. You reside in us because you love us. And so, our Father, this morning, as we have opportunity to sit under the instruction of your word through the Holy Spirit, may you fill us with a sense of of awe at how great you truly are and how, how necessary you are to us. You are our hope, you are our helper. You are our savior and Lord, redeemer. And we love you in Jesus' name, amen. Many of you have already or are beginning to feel the actual pain of being out of step with the current cultural values. Some of you are experiencing or have experienced job loss, some demotions. Others of you are being silenced, muzzled, demoralized. Maybe some are being ostracized from friends and family that you can never imagine, living with threats of insecurity. In some bizarre cases, the people who are treating us with disfavor are our own people, the people of God. G.K. Chesterton, about a hundred years ago, said this, this is indeed the supreme absurdity of the modern world that it imagines that it can introduce anarchy into the intellect without introducing anarchy into the commonwealth. It imagines that it can make its thoughts go crooked and its motor cars will still go straight. Well, that was 100 years ago or so that he said that and I, I think it's never been more true than right now. G.K. Chesterton was a philosopher theologian uh, 1876 to 1936. You know, when you have, when you're addressed as your initials, G.K. Chesterton, like C.S. Lewis or R.C. Sproul, you have to be important. (laughs) So, henceforth, I want to be known as K.R. Baker. You know, his most famous statement was this, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. That's a good one. 
And, and sort of addressing this bizarre time that we're living in, a biblical assessment made by David himself, son of Jesse, in Psalm 53, 1 is this. The wicked fool says in his heart, there is no God. So we are living in a, a moment among people who disregard God. I want to look at Psalm 54 with you today. Among people who have no disregard for God. What will you need what will you personally need in living among people who have not and do not set God before them? So let's, let's do a quick review in case for some reason you were away on vacation for a long time and haven't noticed what's going on around us. Let's just do a quick review in case you are not sure of what our troubles are. What are the godless things that are around us? What is happening that we can safely describe as living among people who have no regard for God. Well, the godless major systems of this world, which are energized, make no mistake about it, by evil spirits, are stacked against righteousness. Righteousness being God's right way of living or God's right ways or justice. So, so a quick list of them are regulated professions that have embraced humanistic rather than neutral values. Both infants and the elderly or the inconvenient are considered to have optional rights to life. A formerly aberrant minority desired lifestyle is aggressively being favored into a very mainstream desired lifestyle. Personal health autonomy, informed health consent are considered decent. Justice has been swallowed first by money and of late politics. Created things are the sole focus of current cultural worship. Racial provocation is the sport of academia. War on the poor is the dirty secret of the global elite. Human design deconstruction is the depraved insanity of the age. That's just a quick rundown that I really didn't have to spend a lot of time thinking about. But that's the ethos of the moment of our culture. And I would sum it up as the sort of deconstructive duo of godlessness and greed. And so I put it out to you because as that list is, is put forth, I know I'm speaking to people here who many of you are required to, to live in that reality. You're working in that reality. That's where your profession is. That's where you're having to place your families. And the alarming reality of this is we are being placed and working and putting our families in a culture that is godless and greedy. And that combination of godlessness and greed is desperately dangerous to the Christian life. So if you're there and if you know, yes, you know what? Where I have to live, where I'm living among, where I'm working among, where I'm placing my children among is definitely godless and greedy. Then we're at peril. So the values of God's people in this moment are considered a threat to the vision and values and mission of present global leadership alliances. 
And sadly, sometimes, even with some claiming to be God's people. So, um, being in the crossfire of this mess, we need some instruction from God. And I've um, set out in this Psalms project with you for these few weeks to address life scenarios in David's life, King David's life, that parallel the kinds of things that are going on around us. David had, um, if you remember from the last couple of weeks, and for sure last week, David had escaped Achish, the king of Philistia. And um, what he thought, and, and had then moved into what he thought were, were safe confines of his own people. So you have David, and, and, and if our source of, in Psalm 54, is, is 1 Samuel 23, and on to 1 Samuel 26, and we'll look a little bit at that, but I just want to give you a sweeping catch-up of what's going on in David's life. So David leaves the king, king Achish of Philistia. You remember he had this sword of Goliath and realized this is a crazy place to be, and I got to get out of here. And, and um, God rescued him out of there. Well, then he takes off to the cave of Adullam, which is a little bit inland from the, the border of Philistines, a little, little southwest of Bethlehem. And there his family come to him, it says. His mother's, father's, brothers. Clearly, that King Saul was after David would mean that David's family was in peril. So the family comes to David and David takes them and moves them all the way to the king of Moab, takes, takes a, a fairly lengthy journey, goes under the, the Dead Sea around to Moab and places his family, his mother and his father there for safekeeping. Now keep in mind that David's great-grandmother was a Moabitess, Ruth. How fortuitous. For the safety of his family, he takes them to Moab. And then he moves back to a place called Ka'elah because God sends him there to rescue the people of Ka'elah from the Philistines, which David proceeds to do. And then he asks uh, will the Lord, will the people of Ka'elah turn me over to King Saul? And the Lord answers him, yes, they will. And so begins the betrayal of David by his own tribe, the tribe of Judah. And now he's on the run, he moves to the desert of Ziph, and there in Ziph, the Ziphites um, tell Saul, isn't David hiding among us? Twice they turn him in to Saul. On two occasions, David has the opportunity to kill King Saul. One time in a cave, and one time he goes into the sleeping gathering of all of the army of Saul and takes Saul's spear and, and leaves. And nobody wakes up and nobody was there to protect Saul and Saul could have been killed. We'll come back to those particular issues. And the lasting result of all of those incidents that I've just shared with you, I'll summarize very quickly, is Psalm 54. The lasting result for the church of Jesus Christ is the great value to us of Psalm 54. So in your Bibles, please look with me. 
you can see that Psalm 54 says, for the director of music, Pastor Steve, we should have had many stringed instruments today, Pastor Steve, as you can see, with stringed instruments. We had one at least, and the keyboard was kind of stringy. A masculine of David, which means something to, uh, retro, um, something to reflect, means reflect on this. When the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, is not David hiding among us to turn him over and betray him? And David writes this great psalm. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Strangers, or literally arrogant men, are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God. Selah, which means stop. Ponder, spend some time letting that phrase ruminate in your mind. Men without regard for God. Who would do such a thing? Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all my troubles and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. This is the word of God. This is what we call a lament psalm. One third of all 150 psalms, or 50 psalms, are over 50 psalms, are lament psalms. They're the highest genre in the psalms. Because our lives, quite frankly, are probably at least one third lament. And it is important. Not only is this a lament psalm, it's an imprecatory psalm, which means calling down God's justice upon those who have mistreated God's people. So that's the context where, wherein we are. And, and I would say so as we start this, looking at this psalm, when kith and kin alike betray you, kith and kin meaning country and family, Judah and family betray you and you are uncertain who can be trusted there are five really important lessons out of here, five, five great pieces of advice. And the first is this, present the problem to the Lord. Yeah, I know it seems obvious, but, but too often we, we think, hey, I can handle this on my own. Present your problem to the Lord. What is the, what is the call here that, that David is making? He's calling, the, calling out to the Lord for justice. That's literally what the vindicate me by your might is all about. Calling for justice. Render justice, O God, on my behalf. And its companion, mercy. Justice and mercy work together in God's character. And so this is what David is calling for. Now, now Wherever we are, if we're in the context of personal ambition and self-will, if you are living in a context where someone over you is personally ambitious and filled with self-will, 
it will be unlikely that you will enjoy justice and mercy very often, especially if you are in the way of that ambition and self-will. As David was, Saul was determined to hold on to power. This is what this whole chasing of David was all about. And David posed a threat to him in his mind. In, in, Saul, in 1 Samuel 23, verse 8, David had a, a smattering of men. 400 men came to the cave of Abdullah. It swelled up to about 600. But it says in 1 Samuel 23, 8, that Saul called up all of his forces to go against David. Every last soldier he had to protect his personal ambition and get David out of the way. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul's army was 210,000 people. Now, by the time we get to Psalm 23, it's highly possible that his army is down to 3,000. If you're reading around, you'll notice that he's really lost a lot of his army because God was no longer with him. And David cries out, save me. Beloved, don't be too proud to recognize when you are over your head. Self-sufficiency is the distinctive of the world, but it's not our distinctive. It's not who we are. It's the moral and spiritual fools of this world who live and act as if there is no God or are so out of touch spiritually if they know something about God but aren't in tune with him that they think their unrighteousness is doing God's bidding. Saul, if you can imagine, in 1 Samuel 23, 7, makes this statement, God has handed David over to me. Why would God do such a thing? That's how out of step he was with the living God. God has handed David over to me because he's, he's in a walled city in Keilah. And they're handing him over to me. Saul's distinctive throughout his, his life was, I can do it by myself. Don't be like that. You can't do it by yourself. Our distinctive is de dependency. We deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Christ. Because you can't save yourself, I can't save myself. And the problem that we face in a godless and greedy culture is far superior to our abilities. Far more energy and power than our abilities. We need help from, from God. Well, the second thing I see David doing is that first he presents his problem to God, but secondly he presents himself to the Lord for help. So present yourself to the Lord for help. Look what he says. Oh God, save me by your name. Vindicate me or give me justice by your might. Do you see this? Render justice to me, oh God, based on your might, based on your power. But interestingly, by your name. This psalm is quite fascinating because David uses three different names for God in this little psalm. And you can see it in your English translation. He uses the, the name God. He uses the name Lord in verse four. 
with small letters, L-O-R-D, and then he uses, the, in verse six, the name Lord in capital letters, the, the tetragram, tetragram, L-O-R-D, capital. This is a very instructive. So when he says, save me, O God, by your name, he then goes on to express in the psalm the variety of expressions of the name of God and, and how they help us in the fullness of the character of God. When you see the word God in your English translation, it is the Hebrew word Elohim. And Elohim is a stress on the might and the power of God. So he's, save me, O powerful God, by your name. When you see L-O-R-D in small letters in reference to God, it's the Hebrew word Adonai, which means the master, that God is our master, God is our Lord, God is our king. And then finally, when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, he's talking about Yahweh, the great I am, as opposed to, to the gods who aren't. Our God is, their gods aren't. That's who this God is, the covenant-keeping God. And so uh, David spreads out in this description that, that it's by the name, by the character of God, by who God is, by what God brings to our lives that he can save us by his might. Oh, render justice to me, O oh God, according to your strength. Because we face daily systems that control justice and they're powerful and connected. By the way, in Jesus, all of the names of God reside. Jesus Christ, at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when we invoke the name of Jesus and call on him to help us, we are calling on all of the character of God available to help us. And so in the, in the shifty moral landscape that we are living in, we need a sure and steadfast help. Human systems, make no mistake, hold tremendous power and are backed by the power of evil spirits. In 1 Samuel 16, 14, it says this, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. What was backing King Saul? Evil spirits. Evil spirits are powerful and they were arrayed against David. It's important for us to pray for one another. We occupy, as I said, vocation and our children are placed in places that are broken and evil systems. And we need to pray for people who are in those systems who love God. Hear my prayer, David says. Hear my prayer, 
O Elohim, listen to the words of my mouth. You know, when we're in a, a, a jam, it's an important time for some self-introspection. To make certain in examining our own lives that God is listening to our prayers. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, listen. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. If you are in, deep, in the deep weeds of culture, it is imperative that you examine your heart day by day to make certain that you, as you call out to the Lord and ask him, oh God, help me, help me, save me from this situation that your heart is in the right shape for God to listen to your prayers. James 4, 3 warns us that you have not because you ask not. And some of you ask for things for your own desires and not the will of God. He won't listen to those prayers either. So make sure you are vindicatable. I'm not sure that's even a word, but in your life. The third thing that David does is he presents his enemies to God. Present your enemies to God. See in verse 3, Lord, arrogant men, strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Now, he's talking about his own people. They've turned on him. Ruthless, arrogant people are attacking me. People who claim to know God are attacking me. But in reality, David says, these are, these are men without regard for God. Saul's putting on a show. He doesn't love you. He loves his position. He loves his power. He doesn't love you. And so we appeal to God. Saul used God talk to manipulate people for his own purposes. You ever met people like that? They, they, they use God talk. Oh, God told me this. And you know they're not, they're not living for God at all. But they, they've hung around church long enough that they, they know God phrases. You know, if you track Saul at all, he, he, in, in 1 Samuel 23, 21, he says, the Lord bless you. In, in 1 Samuel 24, 19, but he's after David to kill him, okay? And this is the language that he's using. May the Lord reward you, David, 1 Samuel 24, 19. In 1 Samuel 24, 21, swear to me by the Lord, David. In, in 26, 25, may you be blessed, my son. This is Saul dishing out all of his Christianese. I know I'm, I'm, I'm trading back and forth in the Testaments here. He's trading all, uh, trafficking in all of his, his cliche God talk. Meanwhile, he's operating with demons possessing him. Recognize the signs of godliness, godlessness, beloved. Arrogant, ruthless men. They have not set God before them. 
And David inserts a selah here, as I said when I was reading it. Don't leave here quickly. Ponder, ponder the thought of that. Ponder the, the possibility that that might happen to you where you would stop regarding God. Is that even imaginable? Don't race off into the psalm yet. There are many warnings throughout scripture to guard your heart. Be careful. Live carefully. Live reflectively. Keep short accounts with God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Don't let drift happen in your life because you keep getting further and further away from God. And one day, you no longer have regard for God. Israel was a theocracy. Israel was a theocracy. Do you, do you know what that means? It means that God was king. And now, thousands of people in Israel chasing David have stopped regarding God as king. Canada claims to be a theocracy. Wait a minute. Have you read the preamble to the Charter of Rights and Freedom? Whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law? Our democracy is intended to protect the supremacy of God in this country. Our democracy, our citizens, you and me, are to fill our role as citizens of this country in such a way that we represent the supremacy of God. And the truth of the matter is that those abandoning the righteousness of God in this country are our enemies. Are you aware of the godless systems in the Canadian context that do not recognize the supremacy of God and are against you? Are you living in an unguarded way ignoring this reality? The starting point to education shapes all of the other disciplines in life. So if the presupposition of education is there is no God, no regard for God, then all of the other disciplines down the line 
are the results of that supposition. We live there. We work there. Our families are there. Our children are unguarded there. So who's helping you? Who's helping me in all of this? David says, surely God is my help. This is, a, this is the pivotal place in the psalm. This is the, as David Barker in his book writes, this is a central thought, the balancing point. Rehearse who God is to you. Every day, hour by hour, this is your help. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. We're not alone. We're not left, we're not left to, to take care of this onslaught ourselves. This, this, the power brokers of this culture that are that are opposing the righteousness of God, that have no regard for God, we're not at their mercy because God is our help. Rehearse who God is to you. You cannot begin to match the resources God has at his disposal to help you get out of trouble. Just as Saul was about to close in on David in the rough area of the Ziphites, the Philistines were called by God to attack Israel. And King Saul was called away to take care of the country. He had to take his army and leave and fight a Philistine attack. Just coincidentally, in the nick of time, Saul leaves David. Do you think so? No. God was his help. Now picture this. The second time that David could have killed Saul. Saul is sleeping right in the middle of his whole army because that's what you did with kings. You put them in the middle and all the soldiers slept around the king. So you've got thousands of soldiers sleeping around the king. The idea is, pretty obvious, if someone tries to sneak into camp at night and off your king, he's gotta go through a whole bunch of guys, surely someone's gonna wake up, right? Can you imagine the sound of that army of guys snoring? Thousands of them with their CPACs on. <laughs> anyway, um, so David and a couple of guys go in, and Saul's spear is right beside his head. And David's associate says, Give me a shot at this guy. I will take one jab and that'll be the end and David says no 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 
far be it from me to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Because when his time is up, God will either take him out or someone else will take him out. This is David, who was already told he would be king, refused to speed the process for his own self-ambition because he didn't have self-ambition. So he takes the spear, they hightail it out of the thing, nobody wakes up and they stand up in the, uh, on a hillside and he yells back at the army, okay Saul, look what I have. I have your spear. Now how did that happen? It says right in the text that the Lord had put Saul's army in a deep sleep, 2612, so that they couldn't wake up. This is why David could write verse 4 and say, with great confidence, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. David refuses to take revenge or justice on his own hands. Why? Because no one gets away with anything under the watchful eye of the Lord and his resent, relentless pursuit of exposing truth and proving himself faithful and truthful. See what it says here? Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. He, he puts it in God's hands. Lord, this is, this is up to you to do. Whenever you decide to take out Saul, that's, that's up to you. It's not up to me. I'm not doing this. But, but let everybody know that those who live in, in, a, in an evil way, evil will turn itself back on them. He, he will return evil to my foes. Those who sow violence harm, slander against you will find themselves surrounded by a harvest of trouble because God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man or a woman plants, that man or woman will harvest. In your faithfulness, O oh God, some translations talk about truth. Destroy them in your truth. They, they work together. The truth of God is that he is always truthful and always faithful, no matter what. He never changes. You're saying, wait a second, uh, this, this sounds very like get even stuff. I thought we were supposed to pray for our enemies. Yes, because they're in a bad place. They are in this place. But seeking just and righteous outcomes is the will of God. David's placing it in God's hands. This is not revengeful, but rather accountability. Calling on God for his justice and righteousness when treated unjustly and unrighteously. And then finally this, I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he's delivered me from all my troubles and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Finally, offer thanksgivings to the Lord. 
in confident gratitude for help on the way. You might be saying, oh, sure, it's easy. It's easy after the fact to, to offer free will offerings to the Lord and to praise Him. You know, look at He's delivered me and all of this. That's not how this psalm is written, actually. It's not, it's not written as if it's after the fact. It, it, in particular, David uses a free will offering and says, I'll offer you a free will offering. Not one that's a contract, not, not one that's conditional on deliverance, but rather, Lord, I'm just going to offer you an offering of praise just because you are good. I'm not waiting to see how you're going to deliver me. I'm not going to see, wait and see if you deliver me. I'm confident that you will, but in the meantime, I will praise you anyways. Listen, beloved, I have spent a lifetime doing this. When you're really in a state of, of, of challenge and trouble and betrayal or whatever it might be, praise the Lord. Ask Him for help. Cry out for help. Tell Him the problem. Admit you can't deal with it. And all of that, and rehearse who God is to you. But in praise, you rehearse who God is to you. You praise Him and offer Him a free will offering just because God is good regardless. It's, it strengthens your faith to realize you are praising the Lord because you have absolute confidence that He will help you. You have absolute confidence in His will for your life. You have absolute confidence in how he chooses to manage your crisis. And therefore, you are free to worship and praise him. So turn on whatever praise music works for you and blast it at full volume and just stand there in the presence of God and worship him. It is our desire to get close to him when everybody else is pushing us away. And it is consistent with his character as deliverer that we can have confidence when we call on him because help is already on the way. We live by Fill in the blank. We live by and not by. Okay. So in trouble, we want to live by sight, don't we? But you know what? We have to live by faith all the time. In the good times and in the bad times. We have to live by faith, which means we regularly can't see the solution. We regularly can't see what God is doing and we're called upon to trust him. And when we offer him praise, when we can't see help, we are demonstrating our great faith in our great God. And this, I don't say this um, unadvisedly. We have examples in the scripture. What, Joshua 3. The Jordan River is at flood stage. God wants them to take the Ark of the Covenant across the River Jordan. And he tells Joshua, 
send the priests down into the swollen river of Jordan. And it wasn't until they actually went into the river that God backed it up way past where they could see so that they would be able to cross. They had been used to seeing God stop the water in their sight, like the Red Sea, for instance, and then go across. This is a new one. Go across even though you can't see what I'm going to do because the answer was upstream. Do you remember when Daniel was praying? Daniel was praying in Daniel chapter, chapter 10 and the angel said, I was delayed 21 days but the moment you prayed, I was dispatched. So we praise God even before the answer comes because the answer is already upstream. God hears us and is helping us because God is, God is good, and God has made covenantal commitments to those who love him, who regard him as God in their lives. So Psalm 54 is really a pattern. It's how you move from near despair to liberation, when life becomes impossible to bear, like being relentlessly hunted down every day by the power of an entire nation, can you imagine? God refuses to rush his plans or remove us from all hurts and pain, even from ruthless people. But he stays with us through thick or thin because God is our help. Amen? Our Father, we are so grateful for you. We thank you so much for your great love for us, for your help that you sustain us, oh God. I, I know that we have a room full of people here and even watching online who are in various stages of desperation because of godlessness and greed that is messing with their lives, messing with their family, Families against families. Oh, God. May we camp here in this psalm, calling out to you to save us because you hear us and you can help us in the midst of those who have no regard for you. You are a helper. You are our sustainer. You are our deliverer from all of our troubles. We love you, we praise you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me summarize this psalm for you in a very brief way. This psalm is helping us to live in the middle. The front end of treachery and betrayal and all of that has occurred. And we've cried out to the Lord and we're crying out to the Lord and we're wondering where is the vindication? When is it coming? But we also know somewhere down the line is coming deliverance from all of our troubles.
And so we live most of our lives in the middle. And in the middle, we live with this confidence. Surely God is my help. And He, the Lord, is the one who braces, literally braces my soul for this tough journey until He delivers me from this trouble. I want you to know, though, that, that for God to be your helper, Christ must first be your Savior. And so if you're here today and you need God's help, you first of all need Christ as your Savior and your Lord. So if you don't know Him, but you, you know you need Him and you long to know Him as Savior, we'd love to talk to you about that today. The pastors will be here. There'll be some in the connections room please come and talk to us we'd love to talk to you it's always great as well to have some of our missionary family here with us on a Sunday understand the balls are here with us where are you you're somewhere in here can you wave at me oh there you are glad to have you with us and and are the winters here as well I heard they might be here yeah there you are I'm looking at you while I'm preaching and I it's good to have you with us as well so um you guys should head off kind of to the, the Connections room if you want as well, and people want, could greet you, greet you um, there. Anyway, it's been a good day. Let's remember God is our help, but Christ must first be our Savior, right? Amen. God, Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word to us. It's challenging to our souls, but it is so rich for us. This is rich food to help us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.